well, you know, I'm interested in, in joining a gym. And maybe it's because I'm out of shape, but just a little bit. Everyone's metabolism is different. Well, you know, here, here in Spiritual Sweat, we're a very unusual type of gym. We don't just focus on physical health, we focus on spiritual health, too. Because, you know, the Bible says that physical exercise profits a little, but godliness profits in all things. Yeah, um, I'm kind of not following. What, what, what are you trying to get at? Well, I guess I was just trying to explain the philosophy of the gym here. Okay, philosophy. I don't need a philosophy. Look, I'm going to be completely honest with you, lady. Okay. The only reason why I'm joining a gym is because I love to eat unhealthy. I hate exercising, but this path is just not sustainable. I gotcha. So you're new at this? Uh, I mean, yeah. Okay. Well, in that case, I would probably recommend our meditating class. It's a great place to start. It's got great physical and spiritual benefits. The class already okay, started, but you know, the instructor probably won't mind if you interrupt. Okay, where is it? Can I, can I go? Uh, well, sure. It's just, just wait, tell me where. Okay, <laughs> it's over there. All right, thank you. But, sir, I got it. you okay. really should stretch first. I, I don't need your advice. You're the receptionist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really hoping that's for himself. Welcome to our first week here in what's going to be a fun series, but also one that is going to be extremely beneficial for every single one of us called Spiritual Sweat. And the goal of the series is to hopefully get us into shape in more ways than one, both spiritually as well as in some other ways. Before I jump into the series, I want to start by asking you guys a question. And the question is this. If you look around the world today, society today, whatever it is, What's the greatest problem in the world today? Let's philosophize for a little bit right here. All right, let's talk about what's the greatest problem in the world today. And someone wants to jump and say economy. And someone say uh, these guys in office. And someone say those guys in office. And someone say poverty. Or someone say whatever it is the greatest problem in the whole wide world. What would you say? What would you say is the problem? Is the problem a political one? Is it a financial one? Is it an economic one? Is it the health of a certain uh, quarterback here in Washington, D.C.? For some of us, that's the greatest problem that we could possibly imagine. I read a nice quote the other day from a guy named Elton Trueblood, and he said the following. He said, the greatest problems of our time are not technological. For these, we handle fairly well. They are not even political or economic. Because difficulties in these areas, glaring as they may be, are largely derivative. The greatest problems of today are moral and spiritual, and unless we can make some progress in these realms, we may not even survive. 
This is how advanced cultures have declined in the past. I agree with that assessment, that of all the problems in the whole wide world, they are not just surface level, they all go much deeper, and they all are derivative of a greater problem which exists today more than it's ever existed before. And I know I may be generalizing right here, but if I try to summarize all the problems, as it was written many years ago and has been repeated many times, the curse of our era these days is superficiality. Would you agree? Superficiality is the curse of our age. We want, this whole idea of instant gratification has messed us up. And we want everything quick, and we want to do as many things as possible, as quickly as possible, right now. And it's messed up our relationships, because we have no depth in our relationships. It's messed up a lot of us, it's affected our careers, because we don't have the patience to stick with it the way that they used to, okay, and stick with something for a long time. And it's certainly messed up our relationship with God. What we have today is we have many, 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 many things at surface level. And what's lacking in the world today, I would say, is depth. Therefore, enter this series, which is going to talk about spiritual disciplines. Because what spiritual disciplines are, are those things in life that call us to a deeper level of living. Deeper in our relationship with God, deeper in our relationships with one another, deeper in our relationship even with our own self. Our goal in, in, in this series is to go back in time, to go back, so if you study in the early church, okay, which you all have heard me talk about that many, many, many times, in the early church, I'm talking about Book of Acts, first century, second century, third century, those kinds of churches, like that, that, that church, I should say, those guys didn't do as many things as we do. Like they didn't have cool high-tech videos and cool stuff like we have. They didn't have uh, online stuff like we have. And they didn't have the refreshments that we got. We got a lot more stuff to offer. They had fewer things, but they were deeper in them. And specifically, there's certain disciplines that they preached and they lived by, and they really lived by these disciplines, and they led to this life of depth. These are the seven disciplines that we are going to talk about. And I'm not saying these are the only seven disciplines that there is in life. In fact, I'm telling you that when you study the early church, there's two disciplines in addition to these, if you can't read it, meditation, simplicity, solitude, service, confession, worship, celebration. This is how they lived their lives. But there's two specific disciplines that I'm actually leaving out intentionally, prayer and fasting. And the reason why I'm leaving those out is because we just finished up a series on fasting, and before that we finished up a series on prayer. So we went in depth into both of those, so I'm leaving both of those out. I'm not saying that these are the only seven things that matter in life. But what I am saying is that these are disciplines that we need to have in place in order to build depth in our lives. Now like my man Peter just illustrated to all of us here with his cute little video. Who needs spiritual disciplines? Who needs spiritual disciplines? Everybody needs it. Look at it like working out. Who needs to work out? Everyone needs to work out. Some may need more than others, okay? Or some may need different than others, and some need to go lower body, some need to go upper body. Some, everyone needs a different level of working out, but everyone needs to work out. And there's no one, so let's, let's get rid of the idea that working out, okay, is the same in the spiritual. Every time I go to the gym, I see really buff people and really in shape people. So therefore, working out is for really in shape people. False. 
Okay, the people who are not in shape need it even more. So just the fact that you see those people working out most doesn't mean that it's for them. Just like when we see this, we say, okay, this is for like the monks, the nuns, the people who are dressed in all black with beards, like the funny looking people. This is for those kind of people. False. Everyone needs this life because this is the life that Christ taught us to live. But just because you see other people doing it more often doesn't mean it's just for them. Let's go to the other side of the extreme. That the spiritual disciplines just for the amateurs. All right? That working out is just for the amateurs. I'm, I'm the, the buff guy. Look, I've been doing this for years. False again. Because who can say that they are in such good shape that they never need to work out again? And who can say spiritually that they've discovered the deepest parts of their relationship with God? God is like the ocean. How deep is the ocean? Like if you go into the deepest part of the ocean, you touch the bottom. I bet you if you keep on going, you find a spot even deeper. And I bet you keep going, you find a spot even deeper. And there's no way that you can ever say you got to the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the ocean. And the same thing with the spiritual life. Our goal in this series is to go deeper and deeper. And that's why no matter where you are, just like in the workout, no matter how you came into the gym today, we got a plan for you. Some of you may be on, you know, like I'm saying, like it depends on how you, whatever shape you're in, you got a separate plan maybe waiting for you, but everyone needs spiritual disciplines. What's the goal of spiritual disciplines? The goal of spiritual disciplines is not to escape the world, but to live with the power of God in the world. I want to clear that one up right off the bat. The goal of spiritual disciplines is not to be some weirdo and to be detached from the world. That's not Christianity, all right? That's other religions teach that, and some eccentric people might teach that in Christianity, but that's not Christianity. Because even Jesus, in fact, told his disciples, or when he prayed to the Father, he said, I'm not trying to take them out of the world. I'm trying to send them back into the world, but send them back in a different way. So the goal of these disciplines is not that we live some hermit lifestyle over here in a corner and we just judge the rest of the world. And we just say how bad they are, and we just pray, and we fast, and we live our own life like this. No. In fact, the, the fathers of the church said that in order to really practice the disciplines, you must be in the world. Because in order to really fulfill the commandments, you need relationships. You need your brother so you can love your brother. You need your sister so that you can forgive your sister. You need your spouse. You need your neighbor. You need your coworker so that you can do all those biblical commandments about loving one another, supporting one another, encouraging one another, admonishing one another. The point is not that we detach the point is that we go into with a new power inside ourselves. Sometimes we have this picture of Christianity and this life of no fun. All right, and Christianity is no fun, and, and this life of discipline is life of no fun. Anyone knows anything about my, my goal is not to remove fun from the world. In fact, anyone who knows me personally, part of my personal mission statement is to institute more fun in the world. Okay? I'm not joking, but that's another time. I don't believe that God is against fun. I believe that God is for the best kind of fun, the true fun, the true joy, and that's the point of these. And I'll tell you this, if these spiritual disciplines, I'm give you a measure that you can measure. If the spiritual disciplines don't lead to you smiling more in life, something's not right. If the spiritual disciplines don't lead to you having more joy, true joy, because true joy is when I'm not dependent on these worldly circumstances, but it's all within me. And that I have the ability to find joy within myself because of my relationship with God and, and my not relying on exterior circumstances. That's true joy. And that's the point of the spiritual disciplines. If you ain't smiling more, you ain't doing something right. 
Because the point of the discipline is not to take you out of the world, but to send you back to your medical school, to your office, to your family, to your whatever, with a renewed sense of power. Just like these working out things. The point of them is not to confine us in the gym so that we stay there forever and we're miserable people. The point is to build us and then send us back out so that we can do all kinds of cool stuff with our cool muscles. Why are spiritual disciplines so important? Let's take a step back and let's talk about why we need to build spiritual disciplines into our lives. I want to talk about sin. And I want to talk about what sin is and the effect of sin in our lives. Usually when we talk about sin, we think of an act of disobedience. Like I did a sin, or I did many sins, or I didn't do any sins. We think of sin as like something that I do. But if you look in, in the Bible, the Bible doesn't, like yes, sin is something that you do, but sin is much more than that. Sin is actually more of a condition and less of an action. Meaning it's something that's inside you, not something that you do. St. Paul speaks about this in Romans chapter 7, verse 15 through the end. He says this, what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Saying, I don't want to do this, and I do this, and I do want to do this, and I don't. We understand that. I don't want to eat this. I eat three of those. I do want to eat that. I don't touch that. And I want to wake up at this time, but I can't. And I want, like, we don't do the things that we say that we want to do. But now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Okay, again, it's not me choosing a sin. It's that I have something inside me called sin. It's a condition more than an action. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Y'all catch what he's saying right there, right? He's saying in a kind of a, you know, maybe not the most grammatically easy way to understand it. He's basically saying, it's like, I don't necessarily do the things that I want to do because I have this thing inside me called sin. The Bible talks about sin. There's a nice verse somewhere in Isaiah that talks about how sin is like dirt in the ocean. And the same way the ocean brings dirt and mire, that's the word, okay? It brings dirt and mire okay, to the seashore, that's the way sin comes out of us. What does the ocean do to bring forth dirt and mire? Nothing. The ocean's existence will perpetually bring forth dirt and mire, okay? It'll just constantly be bringing it forward. And our existence will constantly be bringing forth sin out of us because that's our condition. Usually, when we want to defeat sin, we look at it and say, okay, your sin, I'm me. I'm going to defeat you. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to think this. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to eat this. I'm, I'm not, I'm not. And we have this, like, what I'm calling a frontal attack. Okay? There's sin, there's me, and we're going to fight against sin. End result of, of a frontal attack against sin. Willpower against sin. Determination. Not going to do it. Not going to get bitter anymore. Not going to get angry anymore. Not going to have lust anymore. Not going to think those thoughts. What's the end result of that? Success? How many times does that work? How many times does that work in the history of all mankind? Zero 
out of a bazillion. Zero percent. Why? Now we're going to go to St. Paul, what he says in Colossians chapter 2. He speaks about when we try to control sin with this frontal attack. He says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Now he's talking about why are you fighting with the willpower? And this is the willpower of the frontal attack. Do not touch. Do not taste. Do not handle. Saying these are the commitments we make. I'm not going to touch. Not going to taste. Not going to handle. Which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things, watch here, indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Wait a minute, y'all catch that verse? That's an interesting verse. This verse says that all that human striving, that this, don't touch, don't taste, don't handle, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, all that stuff, while it has the appearance of being good, because it is good, it's better than the guy who says, Give me, let me at it. All right? So it does appear good. But St. Paul says it's what? Self-imposed religion of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You know why? Why is it self-imposed religion? Another translation of this verse, instead of self-imposed religion, says will worship. Okay, worship of the will. Okay, like worshiping your own will. Why? Why is it self-imposed religion of no value? Why is it will worship? The term will worship is so nice because it's exactly that. It's exactly me saying that sin is bad. I'm not bad. Therefore, I'm not going to do that. And it's all about me. and It's not about God. And I have news for you. Anytime that you are overly guilty about a sin of like, oh, how could I? And I'm the dumbest. And how could I? Nine out of ten times. It's not about God. It's about you. It's about you saying, oh, I, I promised that I wouldn't do it. And it's not about God, because I know God's going to forgive me, but it's about me saying, I'm better than that sin. And I should be better than that sin. And that's self-imposed religion, that's will worship, that has nothing at all to do with growing in true righteousness from God. Said another way, in case you don't understand anything I just said, you understand this. You understand it by reading it, you understand it by seeing the picture. Willpower doesn't work. If willpower worked, we wouldn't all look like we looked. If willpower looked... Our spiritual lives would be different. Our marriages would be different. If will, you think there's anyone who wills to live that life? Like take whatever it is, whatever it is that you're struggling with, okay? Whatever area that you're struggling with. You're struggling, like I said, with bitterness or resentment or thoughts or purity or anger or temper or whatever it is that you're struggling with. Do you think anyone is choosing that? No one chooses that. The reason that we struggle with it and continue to struggle is because we try the willpower, the frontal approach, that I'm not going to do it. And that leads to failure every single time. I read this nice quote from a psychologist. He said the following. He said, as soon as you resist mentally, as soon as you resist mentally, any undesirable or unwanted circumstance, you thereby endow it with more power. Power which will use against you and you will have depleted your own resources to that exact extent. I always knew that, but this guy's smarter than me, and he put it much more eloquently than me. Is the minute that you say, I'm not going to, the minute that you say, I'm not going to, you empowered that thing. You walk out of here today and say, I'm not going to eat a cupcake. You know what you just gave power to? The cupcakes. Because you just put it in your mind. And now you just, made, you just drew like a line in the sand and said, it's you against me, cupcake. 
And I got news for you. Cupcake wins every time. You may win a battle, but cupcake wins every single time, doesn't it? Same with sin. Sin wins every, you may win a, a day, two days, three days. And in fact, the sin may even let you win. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. You're doing really good. Oh, I'm scared of you. You're so big and strong. Yeah, you're the best. And then when we start to prance around, you know what I mean? And then he, right, smack of the back of the head. You cannot beat sin by willpower. You cannot defeat it by attacking it that way. Okay? This is perfect. This is perfect. Father Anthony, you just gave us all permission to do absolutely nothing in life. Because you just said that if you try, it's going to fail, so why try? Okay? Why try and fail? Why not just sit and fail? Okay? Why not just sleep and fail? Why should I try and fail? It's because you know that's the most frustrating thing, that when you go work out and then you go back to the scale and it's the same as it was before. Well, why even try? Might as well just sit on my couch and watch TV like everyone else. Why should I try in my spiritual life if try leads to fail every single time? This is the principle upon which the disciplines are based. Righteousness comes through grace. Grace comes through disciplines. Write it down and I'll explain it. Righteousness, which is what we're trying to get, comes through grace. Grace is made available through disciplines. That's better than comes through. And I'll explain why. The term that they write about, that the fathers write about, is the path to disciplined grace. Okay? The path to disciplined grace. And that's what this series is all about. The path to disciplined grace. Why? Because ultimately, being righteous is not something that you can do. You can't force it. It can only come from God. It's a grace. There's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do about it. But grace is made available through the disciplines. Look at it this way. Galatians 6.8. This is our theme verse for this series. He who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let me draw you this picture that St. Paul is drawing here with this idea of sowing and reaping. I'm a farmer. I want to bring forth fruit out of the earth. Is there anything I can do to bring forth fruit? Yes and no. Ultimately, no. Ultimately, I can't stick my hand in, no matter how hard I pull, and I can't do anything. But what I can do is prepare the soil and make sure that the soil is fertile. And I can make sure that I pull the weeds. And I can prepare it so that God can bring forth fruit. So I have a part, but my part isn't to bring forth the fruit. My part is to make ready a path so that God can bring forth the fruit. Said another way, I'll give you another example. Let's say you're going to get a scholarship. Let's say you got a scholarship to George Mason Law School University. All right, and you got a scholarship to right here. I am Mr. George Mason. I'm going to give you the money. You can't earn it. But you need to go into this office at this time, fill out this paperwork, and have your ID ready, and, 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 whatever. And you need to fill out your paperwork properly. Does filling out the paperwork give you the money? No, I give you the money. Does showing up on time give you the money? No, no, I give you the money. But filling out the paperwork, having your ID looking decent when you're in the line and getting there on time, 
That's the means by which I have decided that I will bestow the money upon you. I decide. It's my money. Whoever wants the money must fill out this, must do this. And God has done the same thing through the disciplines. God is saying, I want to give you grace for righteousness. But here's how I give grace. I give grace to people who pray. In prayer, I give grace. In meditation, I give grace. Those who live away from the materialistic world, live a simple world, I give lots of grace to those people. The people who say, I don't want the materialistic, I'm going to give you a lot of grace. I'm not saying that you sell all your possessions and God will just give I'm not saying it like that. But I'm saying that when you live a simple life, solitude, you have time for solitude, you have service, you have confession, you have worship, you have these disciplines. When you have these, what you're doing is you are preparing the soil. And the people who prepare the soil and have the disciplines, those are the ones where they're going to see a lot of fruit popping out there. That's why the path to disciplined grace is the best term. Path is what we're walking. Disciplined grace. Grace, free. Disciplined, effort. Okay? Grace, free from God. Disciplined, effort from you. We need to always keep those two in balance. We don't want to jump. We tend to jump from, I can do it all by myself, to... I can't do anything, I'm worthless. It's got to be from God. Like, we have to keep the two balanced. That God ultimately does everything, but I got to stay on the path. That's exactly what the disciplines are all about. So with that said, that was my little intro. We're going to jump into the first of the spiritual disciplines, which we're going to talk about today, which I believe is the most important one. And it's the discipline of meditation. Like I said, I'm giving you, I'm going to say this this week, and it applies to every week going forward. I'm not talking about things that if you do this, life will be perfect. I'm saying something that you do that may have no effect on your day-to-day -day life whatsoever. But if you continue to be faithful, just like these things, okay? I do this, I go home, actually I go home more tired than I started. Like think about that. We work out and we become tired. I'm saying that these things long-term, more you use these things, more you do this stuff long-term, Put you up here. And I'm saying the same thing with the disciplines. I'm not saying go home and meditate today and spend quiet time today and all your problems solve tomorrow. We're fighting long term. We're trying to defeat this sin, not frontal, but we're trying to come in through the back door. So with that, I'm going to talk about meditation. The number one most important discipline in order to receive the grace of God is meditation. What's meditation? You call it quiet time. You call it contemplation. You call it reflection. I don't care what you call it. What it is, is you sitting down, okay, as Jesus did right here, Matthew 14, 13, when he heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. What is meditation? Meditation is me. Okay, before I said superficiality is the curse of our age. Let's be more specific, okay? What is it more specifically that causes all, causes death, to anything deep in life. You know what I want to say it is? Hurry. Busy. Call it whatever you want. Hurry and busy is the death to depth in your relationships, in your spiritual life, in your intellectual life, in your career, and everything. Hurry is the death of everything that is good. So what is meditation? It is the art of slowing down. Write this. Meditation is the process of hearing and obeying God's voice.
Meditation is the process of hearing and obeying God's voice. Meditation isn't as complicated as we make it. We make it out to be something complicated. You know why? So we have an excuse not to do it. And we say, no, 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 it's something, you know, very complicated and you have to like know the secret code words. You don't know the secret code words? Oh, you don't have the, the secret instructions? Okay, you don't know the secret handshake? Okay, like there's all kinds of secrets that are involved in this and you say, well, I don't really know what I'm doing. So then what we do is we say, well, you know, I, I can't do that, but what I can do is I can read my Bible for five minutes and okay, that's as close enough as I can get. And what we do is because we can't do this, so we draw the line really, really low. Look, meditation isn't complicated. In any relationship with any other person in life, you have communication. They talk to you, you respond back to them. They talk, you listen, especially if they're like a teacher or a parent, usually you obey. All right, what they tell you to do, and then you communicate back. That's all it is. Meditation isn't anything more than our way of spending time with God. From the very beginning, God designed it that we should spend time with Him. That's how God wanted it back in the Garden of Eden, but things got messed up back then. And ever since then, all He's been trying to do is trying to repair this relationship with us so we can spend time together one-on-one. -on -one. That's why one of God's favorite people in the whole wide world, not that God has favorites, but we all have favorites, okay? One of the people that God really, really loved to hang out with was Moses. You know why? Because Moses didn't complicate the matter. And Moses, the Bible says, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's meditation. That's quiet time. I'm specifically going away from the word quiet time. I'm trying not to use it because I know that we have our idea like every time I give a, a, a talk about this topic, I use a different word, if you notice. Because we say, okay, quiet time, and then we have this picture of what quiet time is. It's read this, check the box, and do this. I'm like, that's not it. So then I use this word. Now we, we have these definite, I'm trying to get away from the word. And I'm trying to get you to more of a goal and less of a structure. You know what I'm saying? Like the goal isn't to lift this weight. The goal is to exercise. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I'm using the word meditation today. This is what meditation is all about. Meditation is all about the God of the universe is alive and he wants to spend time with you. I just said two important facts. That you need to believe these two facts. That the God of the universe is alive. He is not dead. And the same God who spoke to Moses, same God who spoke to Isaiah, same God who spoke to Elijah, same God who spoke to your grandma, same God is alive. God is not dead. And God doesn't, doesn't all of a sudden, doesn't like to talk or has like a throat thing, okay? God is alive. And number two, God wants to spend time with you. And if you believe those two facts, you are ready to start meditation. <coughs> I love this verse from Psalm 149 verse 4. It says, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Let me break this down for you, this verse, what this means. Y'all know what this verse means? One of, like, I'll give you some deep theology. Deep, 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 because I'm a deep, deep, deep theological person. Let me give you some deep theology about what this verse means. This verse means that in addition to everything else that we know about God, that we know God merciful, and we know God compassionate, and we know God just, and we know God almighty, and we know, and we know, and we know, and we know God loves us. Let me tell you some more theology. That in addition to God loving you, God likes you. God likes you. Did y'all know that? 
We didn't learn that in Sunday school for some reason. We learned that God loves us, but we learned also that love is tough sometimes. Right, and that's what we were taught. That's what we were taught. That God loves you. Okay, and then some people would say, God loves you like your dad. Okay, and then you go home and your dad is yelling at you all the time. Okay, you say, God loves you like your dad. Wow, love is the best. <laughs> Look here. I agree God loves us. And I agree love is sometimes tough. But I'm telling you, God likes you. God likes you. Like now, God likes you. Your mom likes you, God likes you. She at least got two, okay? No matter what else happens in the whole wide world, you got your mom, you got God. They like you. They enjoy spending time with you. They like it when you just knock on that door and just stop by to hang out. They want to talk to you even when they got nothing. When you got nothing to say, just listen. They'll talk, okay? God genuinely enjoys your presence. He takes pleasure in you. And every day, every day, I always say, okay, you know how talk about Jesus was man and God, all right? He was fully divine and fully human. And in the beginning, people used to take away his divinity and say, no, how do we know he was God and all this stuff? And that was the, the heresy of the first several centuries, was that Jesus is not divine. I believe this current heresy is that we take away his humanity, all right? And we make him a robot. Can we make him some, like, you know, uh, Darth Vader guy up in the sky, all right? That's, you know, don't take away his humanity. Every day, every day, you wake up, Jesus wakes up. Obviously, he doesn't sleep, but you know what I'm saying, okay? He's there, and he's waiting, and he's saying, like, oh, I wonder if, you know, he's going to come hang out with me today. And I got, and I, and I baked him his special, you know, whatever. You know, I got a special meal for him today, and I'm going to tell him today about, oh, I know, I got this promise for him today. Oh, I got a great promise for him today. Oh, I can't wait. And then what do we do? Alarm clock goes off. There's Jesus, you know, happy to see us. And we smack on that snooze button. And we say, yeah. Jesus says, okay, you know, rough night for him. That's okay. One day, it's okay. Next day, I'm sure. Because I'm, like, again, up early in the morning, and I got something special. But the problem is yesterday's food, it, it expired. So that's okay. I have to make a new one. He missed out on that one. And every day, there he is. And every day, we snooze. And every day, we say, okay, God. I have to spend time with you, so ready, go. And I got to leave at this time. And then if uh, the priest says you spend time with God, I say, ah, I'm busy. Uh, why are you getting on my case? And then you know how busy I am? Look here. I tell you, I, I said this before. It's something God told me a long time ago. I don't ever, ever, ever need anything from you in a nice way, okay, not in a bad way. I don't need you, okay? I, I got stuff. All right, I got other people. I got billions of people on this earth to hang out with. I don't need to hang out with you. I got other people. I got angels. I got archangels. You know what I mean? Like uh, the foreign corporeal creatures, like pets, okay? <laughs> I got stuff going on. I don't need you. I love you. I want to spend time with you. And if you want to spend time with me, I'm here. But don't do me any favors. That changed me. Because before, I thought I was going into like, and I'm like, here I am, God. Like, go ahead, kiss my feet. Okay, here I am, okay? I'm going to spend 30 minutes with you today. Go ahead. Give me all the blessings. I gave you 30 minutes. All right, and you better appreciate it. All right, I gave you 30 minutes. God said, keep your 30 minutes to yourself. Thank you very much. Can you imagine going to your spouse and saying, okay, look, I got to spend 10 minutes with you each day, okay? And then you're going to do this, 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 and this, and this for me. I'm going to give you 10 minutes every day. Ready? Go. 
And I got news for you. We don't even give God 10 minutes a day. All right? But we expect more from him, and we know that doesn't work in other places. God takes pleasure in his people. Get rid of this idea that meditation, quiet time, reflection, whatever you want to call it. Get rid of this idea that it's something complicated, simple. I look at it as a date with God. It's a date. There's no agenda. It's just a date. That's why I don't like people also who have all these like high standards of like, I'm going to have my quiet time and then I'm expecting this, expecting this. No, just relax. Okay, there's no agenda. It's just a date. We're going out for coffee together. Okay, well, we're, we're going to discuss. Just relax. Okay, we're just hanging out. And that's the way our time with God is supposed to be. And that's what meditation is all about. Meditation is where we deepen our relationship with God. Meditation is where phrases like, God is with us, goes from theology to reality. Phrases like, God is guiding me. God is speaking to me. That's where it goes from stuff that we just hear in sermons to reality that we experience. And then we can go out and say, hey, you know what? God is guiding me. God is supporting me. God is encouraging me. Realize that when I say this, I'm not saying, like, I don't want you to think I'm going to the other extreme, that, like, our, our time with God is like this, you know, like, buddy-buddy, like, mushy, like, you know, he tells me his favorite color, you know what I mean, and his favorite shapes and things like that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, I love this verse, Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Usually we take this verse and we apply it to like, you know, non-believers who they can always come to Christ. And I agree, that's fantastic. But I don't think that's actually the original intent of this verse. I think this verse was intended for believers, children of God, more than was for non-believers outside. I think this verse was to say to us that every day I want to have a meal together with you. And I prepared a table for you. And all I need you to do is come and I got the meal all set. You don't ever have to do dishes. You don't ever have to clean up. Just come. You can think of meditation as a portable altar, sanctuary. We come here to church together. We come to the table that used to be here a few minutes ago. We receive Christ himself. Think about your time of meditation as the same way. It's a portable altar. You take it with you. You go, you sit down, you receive Christ himself. And you can have communion on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, twice on Sundays. You can have as many times as you want because you have the portable altar in your midst. Practically speaking, okay, I want to give you now some tips for getting started in case this is a foreign concept. Let me say a couple things before I get into the tips. Let me stress on the word. Let's start with the backwards. Getting started. Let me, let, me, let me stress on that for a second. Meaning that if you already are going and you got a good routine, go with it, man. Like, go with it. I'm not trying to tell you you got to be like me. All I'm trying to do is share tips that have worked for me. And that's why the key word here is tips. You want to know the worst thing you can do with tips is turn tips into a law. And one of the greatest dangers of the spiritual disciplines is when we turn them into spiritual laws, which they were not intended to be. What I mean by that? What I mean is the worst thing that you can do is when you turn it into, oh yeah, this is the right way, 
This is actually the only way, and everyone has to do this. And if you're not doing this, no, what are you doing? You're not doing it right. And you know you have turned a guideline into a law two ways. When you become very externally focused, when you become more focused not on the goal, spend time with God, but on the mechanism. The do this, stand this, make sure it's this long, make sure you look this way, one foot up, okay? And you get so into the externals, like the Pharisee, that's what the Pharisees were, is they were so focused on the externals that they missed the end, all right? That's because they took a guideline and made it a law. The second way you know is when you become so externally focused that you focus on others, not yourself. And you measure people up to now your standard. That, yes, I spend 45 minutes every day in meditation with my Bible. Oh, you don't? That's okay. One day you'll get there. And now all we do is we measure people against our standard. And I may be very good at meditation, but I may be very bad at simplicity where you shine at. Just like I said, I may have arms, you may have legs. I mean like muscle, like I'm good in my arms, you may have good in your legs. I, we're, not, we're not trying to say that one is more important than the other. The point is to be balanced. And the point is that we learn from each other. So I'm saying tips, not laws. I'm saying for getting started, meaning this is what has worked for me. And this is what I would recommend. But by the same token, you know, if you got something that works for you, the point of the disciplines is a lot of trial and error involved. All right? And you give it a try and things work and some things don't. And that's, that's kind of how things go. All right. Four tips. Number one, set a specific time. Set a specific time. What time should you choose? Is there a best time to spend in meditation? Yes or no? Both. Yes and no. No, there is not a one-size-fits-all best time that like this is the objective standard at 6.15 is the right time. But yes, there is a best time for you. And what is that best time? It's when you're at your best. And you should give God your best time, not your worst time. And you need to figure out what time are you at your best, your freshest, your most focused. I'm not saying, like again, for me, I'm a morning guy. Okay, I like morning. For me, I'm morning. I'm not saying be morning because I'm morning. I'm saying I'm morning because I'm freshest in the morning. If you're freshest in the morning, you should be morning. If you're not freshest in the morning, like you have to figure out when can you give God the best chunk of time in the day. Let me make a case for the morning, for those who, are, who automatically jump and say, I'm not a morning person. I don't think anyone by nature is a morning person. But I will tell you this, the studies say that the people who are the most successful and accomplished the most are those who have the ability to rise away from the fray. Okay, meaning they have set aside time of quiet. I'm talking about, and I'm not talking about spiritual, I'm talking about in life. They have set aside time where they can think, they can plan, they can journal. Okay, they have set aside time, and the majority of them is early in the morning. So what I'm saying is, is that's a good time to give it a try in case you haven't tried. Why? Logically for me, before I go out into war, a good time to get the weapons is before the battle, not after the battle. Okay? And for me personally, like I'm a mentally, I'm a high RPM guy mentally. So once it gets going, it's really hard to, 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 to steam her down okay? or to, to trail down. So for me, it's best in the morning. Things aren't moving so fast. That works best for me. That again, point is, isn't that one time a day is more sacred than another time a day? Like night is bad. We get away from those. Th those are heresies, all right? That there's like compartmentalization. Get, get away from that. The whole day is sacred to the Lord. All right, 
but the idea is set the best time. Number two, choose a proper place. I'll give you an easy question. Is there a proper place? Well, I won't say there is, but I will say there are many improper places. All right? I'll say there are many bad places and wrong places. Why? When Jesus spoke about Matthew 6, he talked about the prayer closet. He said, go into your room, shut your door. Pray to your father who's in secret. Your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. What does he mean by go into your room and close your door? Close your door means shut yourself off from the distractions. So what's a proper place? A place with no distractions. Or I should say minimal distractions. Having your cell phone next to you is not a good place. In front of your computer is not a good place. In front of the TV is definitely not a good place. Next to your buddy is definitely, definitely not a good place. Choose a proper place. And the best is if you can make it like a separate place, like a, se like a, a sacred place, like a little sanctuary. That's, that's one of the things me and my wife, we wish that we always talked about having that one day, God willing, maybe when get rid of one of the kids or something like that, we'll set aside like one of their rooms to be like a sacred place, okay, like a, like a sanctuary. Like if you can make it, like it shouldn't be like I'm sitting here and I'm watching TV and I put the TV down and open my Bible. Like it's like maybe, maybe me because I'm a creature of, of habit. I feel like we, we associate places with stuff. Get to a separate place of free from distractions. The uh, example that I always think of is anytime me and Marianne go out, anytime me and Marianne go out like for dinner or something like that, okay, which isn't that often, but I'm saying in, in times that we do, she knows, okay, that as much like I love her and I want to be so focused on her and I'm all there. She knows it's just certain things. Like she walks in, first thing she does is she finds out where the TVs are, right? And she positions herself, okay, so that she can see the TV, not me, because she knows that if I'm there, that I'm like, <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I just can't resist it. And then what would made me so happy, so happy and so proud, she knows what I'm about to say, is that yesterday she went out with the kids. Okay, she took the kids out, and there was football games yesterday, and she took a picture of my son, Michael. Here she is right there, and Michael's staring at the TV like this. <laughs> Never been prouder as a father, okay? <laughs> Never been prouder, right? It's my boy. The point is, is that we've learned just not to go to those places that have TVs on both sides. Okay, that's what we've learned, okay? And I'm telling you the same for your time of meditation. Don't go places where there's TVs on both sides, all right? Or where there's cell phones or, or text messages or any of that kinds of stuff. Number three. Have a plan. Because failing to have a plan is planning to fail. Failing to plan is planning to fail. All right? Y'all heard that one before. What I mean by that is, again, go back to the workout idea. What am I going to do? I just get my clothes on, and I just show up at the gym, and I'm just like, oh, you know, this machine looks nice. You know what I mean? And that one looks kind of cool, and this one has a TV in front of it. Like, no. You know, workout, have a plan. Like, minimize the number of things that could go wrong. You know... You want to read the Bible. You want to spend time in prayer. You know you want to do those two things. That's what it's all about. So have a plan where your Bible is. Have a plan of what you're going to read. And I can't tell you the importance of having a Bible reading plan and a meditation plan. I recommend, all right, I sent this out in the email a, a couple weeks ago. If anyone doesn't have a plan, there's a very nice website, and it's also an app that you can get on your phone or iPad or whatever. It's called Our Daily Bread. Okay, Our Daily Bread. It's 99 cents for the app. Okay, but even if I was willing to fork out the 99 cents, so I give. I, I think y'all can shell it out too. It's very nice because every day it gives you like a random passage, and it's short, and you can read it, 
and then it has a nice little meditation in case you want to read it. You know, like whatever. It also has a Bible in a year plan. So that way you can have your meditation, which is short, which is separate than your Bible reading. Like I always believe like you should have time for meditation and you should have time for reading. Reading, you're reading longer, less in depth. You're kind of reading one chapter, two chapters, three chapters, whatever. Meditation, you don't want to go as broad. You want to go short passage. You want to go deep. So the application is nice because it has, the app has both of those things. Whatever your plan is, have a plan. And know what you're going to do when you get there so that you minimize the amount of things that could go wrong. You don't want to get there and be like, should I read this or should I read that? Like, have a plan. The other thing that's really nice is version. okay, the free Bible app. It's nice because they have like 10,000 Bible reading plans. And I like those as well because I think we do better when we check stuff off. So what's nice about it, it says, okay, what are your goals? And you say, I'm going to read this, all right, I'm on this plan. And then you check it off so you see like, okay, I'm behind. Or... You, you have a plan, not just haphazard. You know what I'm saying? Have a plan. Last but not least, get ready for some obstacles. Because make no doubt about it. Make no mistake about it, or have no doubt. That as soon as you say you want to do this, like I said in the sermon today, for those who are here during the liturgy, you got to be ready. The war is on. The devil's going to do everything in his power to stop you from this. Everything in his power. And I don't want to seem overly dramatic, okay, like, um, but this one we got to be serious about. This one habit will keep you, remember what the whole point of these spiritual disciplines is to receive the grace of God and to be in God's presence so I can bring forth fruit. This one habit more than anyone else is the key to that life of fruitfulness and righteousness. And this is the key to guidance from God. This is the key to strength from God. The devil is not going to just watch you walk into this without trying to trip you up at every single step of the way. So be prepared. Galatians 6, 9. This is the verse right after the verse that I, the verse 6, 8 was, he who sows to the flesh will reap of the flesh, and spirit will spirit. And then the next verse says, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Let me ask you a theoretical question. I'll wrap up here with this. Why is it that something that we all know we need to do is so difficult? Like every one of us knows that we need to read our Bible. Every one of us knows we need to spend time with God. Everyone knows, like we know all this stuff. We teach people this stuff. Why is it so hard to do? Why do we struggle with it so much? The good news is if you struggle with this, you are not alone. You are not alone amongst the group right here, but you're also not alone historically amongst the people of God. If you look back over history, biblical history, you will see that the people of God from the very, very, very beginning have resisted having one-on-one -on -one communication with God. They've always said from the beginning, let someone else hear from God and teach us. And then we'll tell you and you tell him. We've always wanted an intermediary. Y'all remember when Moses, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, and God said to Moses, I'm going to be these people... Okay, I'm going to be their God. And he called Moses up, and then God spoke with a loud voice, and the people at the bottom, they all heard it. And what did the people respond when they heard the voice of God? Exodus 20. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. Saying, His voice is kind of scary. Kind of thundery, kind of lightningy. We don't want to hear that again. You go, we'll hear, and we will pray for you, okay? And then you come back and you let us know. 
later on in Israel's history. This, once, once this happened, that became like a little bit of a divide. God said, okay. So that's when God started to speak through prophets, priests, judges. And then eventually what happens in 1 Samuel, the people say, no, no, no. We want like an official position between us and you. We want a king. Before that, who was their king? God. And they said, no, no, no. It's scary having God as king. We want a human being as king. God appeased them, but look what he said. Get the emotion out of this. Don't remove the human side. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you. They have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. What do you hear in God's voice? Like, don't read the Bible without reading the emotion in it. God is, God is a very emotional God. Extremely. Like he said, I'm a jealous God. What emotion you see here? It's kind of sad. Okay? You can't be rejected and not be a little bit sad, especially by your own children. God say, okay, I appeased you. You can have a king, but I'm kind of sad. Y'all rejected me. Y'all are going to regret this because every single one of your kings stinks and it caused you a lot more harm than good. But I'm saying since this time to today, we as the people of God have said, put someone between us. Why? Think. Why is it? Why is it that we would rather show up to church, you, Father Anthony, you read the Bible, you tell us the message. You pray for us, okay? Then every someone comes and says to me, pray for me, pray for me. So you pray for yourself, okay? Like, <laughs> I pray for you, you pray for me, like, that's fine. But pray for yourself, right? Why? Why do we want someone between there? You know why? You know what happens if you face God face to face? You're going to have to change. And in the end, a lot of us don't want to change. It's a lot easier to say no thank you to me than it is to say no thank you to him. Sure, Moses, you come let us know and we'll pick and choose. We can negotiate with you. Ain't no negotiation when you're standing in front of the living God. And a lot of us resist it because we're not ready to really change in the way God wants us to change. Don't make the same mistake. Don't make the same mistake. Don't resist the presence of God. Easy to keep ourselves busy, hurry, rush, football, texting, noise, stuff, easy to keep ourselves busy and say, well, you know, wh whenever we get a chance, we didn't have a chance, okay, well, we'll just read a commentary. We'll just read a book about God, okay? Like, we'll read a book or we'll listen to a sermon in the car on the way to work. There you go. Ah, I'm a good person to listen to a sermon. I listen to two sermons. That's fantastic. But you didn't talk to God. I'm not against sermons. I give sermons, Okay. But I'm against relying solely on someone else to be intermediary between you and God. That's not how God wants it. God is speaking loudly to you today. Yes, sometimes it sounds like thunder, but even the thunder is out of love. And even the lightning is lightning to purify. It's not to destroy. I encourage each one, follow these steps. Set aside time. And remember this most important thing, that when you talk about the spiritual disciplines, especially this one of meditation, start with desire, not technique. What I mean is don't be so mechanical that you worry about like how and what and where. I gave you tips, okay? But 90%, I promise you, is desire. And if you have the, like people were able to meditate before they had our daily bread app. 
Okay? People found a way. Why? Because they had desire. Don't worry about the technique as much as you worry about the desire. Jesus says this great verse in John 10. My sheep hear my voice. I want to be his sheep. You want to be his sheep. What is the criteria that he says to be my sheep? Is they hear my voice. But they don't just hear. They hear, I know them, and they follow. Meaning they hear and they obey. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Welcome to the path of disciplined grace. Every week we're going to go through a different one of these, but we are not just talking. All right? We are practicing. And each week we're talking about something different. One week you're going to come and say, oh, I'm very good at that. Don't need to work on that. That's great. Other weeks you're going to say, I'm the worst at that. Our goal is to live a balanced life. And I promise you, just like I promised this boy, if he works out, I'm not sorry, any one of us, okay? Just because he's in the video, okay? In this, in this video, any one of us, he, you work out, you eat right, you get enough sleep, eat your vitamins, you keep on doing that, I promise you, a year from now you're not going to look the same. Spiritually the same way. In, in sowing, you cultivate, you fertilize, you pull weeds. I promise you it's not going to look the same in a year. And I promise you the same in your spiritual lives as well. All right? Let's stand up for a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this message that you gave to us. We thank you, Lord, because you not only love us, but because you like us, and you take pleasure in us, and you delight in spending time with us. Lord, we know how unlovable we are, and how unworthy we are, Lord, of even that you would call us, like even calling us servants, Lord, we're not even worthy of that, but you call us children, you call us your friends. We thank you for that, Lord. We pray that you would help us to deepen our friendship with you during this coming week, this coming year, all the days of our life, Lord. Let us never to be content with superficiality in, in our relationship with one another, but especially in our relationship with you. Let us to really go deeper, Lord, and to go deeper and deeper inside you every single day. Give us, Lord, the strength and the courage we need to fight against the obstacles that are going to come and strengthen us, Lord, to, to walk this path of disciplined grace. We pray this in the name of your Son, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Have a great week, guys. See you all next weekend. Thank you.